we can't continue to ask early childhood educators to subsidize the system, right? The low wages we pay, in a, in a sense, is subsidizing the system. We can't ask them to do that. Employers can't pay any more than they are. So it really proposes that the federal government is the financing backbone, and it calls for parity. Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Village, a podcast from the Wyoming Early Childhood Professional Learning Collaborative. We know it takes a village to raise a child, and Wyoming Early Childhood Educators, as an essential part of that village, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Nikki Baldwin, here at the University of Wyoming, and today I am so excited to introduce my guest, Mary Harrell, who is the Senior Director for Higher Education for the National Association for the Education of Young Children. I've had the privilege of working with Mary to support the rollout of the NAEYC Unifying Framework for the Early Childhood Education Profession in Wyoming. Mary recently led a series of five meetings with educators, policymakers, funders, and state agency representatives to discuss the unifying framework and how we can make it happen in our state. I asked Mary to join me today so we can share more about this work. So welcome, Mary. Hi, Nikki. I'm really so glad to be here. It's great to have you here. Um, It's been so fun to have the chance to get to know you better in this last year. And now I know a lot of things. I know about your pets. We know a lot of things about each other. (laughs) I've had a lot of fun. I wish we could have traveled to Wyoming during this year, but I know next year we'll be able to do that. Maybe in the future. (laughs) Yeah. Mary, why don't you just start off with telling our audience a little bit about yourself? I, I don't know some of this. What was your story in early childhood and how did you end up where you are? Well, I've been at NACI for about six years, and I actually, I I don't bring an early childhood background with me, and where most of my professional journey has been, has been around um, educator preparation, and so I spent many years with the American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education, which really focused on the intersection of educator prep and K-12, a lot of work around both federal policy and state policy there, um, as well as supporting a lot of different grant initiatives, everything from school leadership preparation, being part of the rollout of EdTPA and thinking about how that can be used in professional preparation programs and really support the professionalization of K-12 educator preparation. So my journey has really been in that world, and I came to NACI six years ago working on the higher ed team. So I think continuing that work around educator preparation, but moving into the early childhood landscape, which my own ignorance, I had not realized the differences and just the complexities that are part of preparing early childhood educators. Um, And, you know, I think my assumption was um, I thought the K-12 landscape was confusing and complex and hard to navigate. And then you move into early childhood where some early childhood educators, there's a requirement for a license to practice and expectations around professional preparation in some areas of our workforce, there's not that expectation. And so it has been fascinating to really delve into this particular area. I do a lot of work. Um, One of my biggest part of my portfolios is supporting our higher ed accreditation system Mm -hmm. at NACI. And so we accredit early childhood degree programs and it is really um, intense and interesting work to do. And I am blown away by the faculty, early childhood faculty every day, just the way in which they support their students, both helping them academically, but oh my gosh, all of the work that faculty do to help students who we know are typically non-traditional, right, in this work and helping them navigate the higher ed system and 
connect them to social supports that they need. I, you know, I, I just, I have a special place in my heart for what early childhood faculty do. And I believe that they, much like our early childhood educators, are not recognized for the work they do. So I'm excited to talk today, you know, as much as we're going to talk about valuing early childhood educators, I also want to give a shout out to our faculty and they deserve the compensation recognition for their work. Thanks, Mary. And that's actually how we met is, I don't know if you even remember this, but I attended a session of yours that was, it was like like a full afternoon session at a, at a conference about higher ed accreditation, thinking about what we were developing at the University of Wyoming with our new bachelor's degree. So then I just started following you around after that, which is what I do. When I find people that I think are amazing. Who are my first and only groupie? (laughs) That's excellent. I can be the fan club chairperson. (laughs) Um, That's great. Well, this is a podcast about professional learning. And one thing that I was was thinking about is you had a pretty steep learning curve then. Um, You understood the higher ed piece really well, but with early childhood, can you tell us a little bit more about some, like a significant insight you had about young children or early childhood education when you first came on board NAUIC that sort of changed your thinking in a big way? I, so this will seem obvious to you and everyone else who's probably listening to this, but to really think about early childhood education's birth through grade three was pretty revelatory. And for me, both because of just how this country has structured schooling and education, right? This is not how we think about that in our schooling structures. Therefore, that is not what's reflected in our practitioner licensing structures. Uh Therefore, that is not what is reflected in how we prepare early childhood educators and how in higher ed we've organized ourselves Mm -hmm. as early childhood educators. So I think coming to understand that piece and think about what it really means to be birthed through grade three when our systems are birthed through five and K3, in most places. That was a big shift for me, kind of in thinking about that. And I think the second piece for me that was a big shift is really getting to understand the research and science behind child development and how much that drives the decision-making. I'm not going to say that's not present in K-12 education and how we prepare early K-12 educators, but I don't think that intentionality of focus on the child development is is there in K-12. Even as we think about um, K-3, middle grades, high school, like it's not necessarily driven by how we understand how pre-adolescents learn or adolescents learn, right? And in a way that's different, I think, in early childhood education where that is so much a part of how we prepare early childhood educators. And I think thinking about the role of family engagement is really different when we think about early childhood education and when we think about K-12 education. So those are, you know, a couple of the learning curves for me and the ways that have really influenced my thinking around um, some of the work we do at NACI. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating to hear you say that because those really are, that's what makes us unique uh, as a field. And it's a strength and not a weakness, yeah. but has felt like in the past, it's been viewed maybe as a weakness, some of that. Um, Yeah, no, I kind of think about like, what would it be like if our licensing structures, schooling structures, structures are really driven by the periods of child development and adolescent development, right? Versus 
this, you know, and how much better it probably would be for all of the kids in the system. Yeah. In fact, I say this frequently because it's troubling to me, but uh, most of the teachers in Wyoming are able to get a license without having taken any class in development at all. And that's really alarming if you think about it, how quickly there can be a mismatch between expectations and development if you don't know anything about development. So it's a big deal. Well, Mary, you're, you're joining me today because we want to talk about the unifying framework for the early childhood education profession. That's a lot of words to describe some really important work that NAEYC has been engaged in for multiple years now. And I was wondering, uh, I think probably most of our listeners uh, have not heard about this. So could you just take a minute and even tell us a little bit about NAEYC as an organization and then what happened with the power to the profession and the unifying framework to get us where we are right now? So let me start with NACI. We are a membership organization, a professional organization. We have about 60,000 members, and that includes early childhood educators, faculty in higher education, advocates, um, researchers, state agency representatives, um, basically anyone who is engaged in the early childhood education field. And our primary focus within the organization is to both support um, and increase access to high quality early learning and care for young children and to support the workforce um, that is providing that early learning and care. So that really drives everything we do as an organization. Um, we are a, um, a big organization. I think when I came here, you know, to be able to see um, how many business lines and the different kinds of work that we do um, was pretty impressive to me. Um, we have two accreditation systems, and so that's our early learning program accreditation system, and we have about 7,000 accredited programs through there. Um, our early childhood higher ed accreditation system, and we have over 200 accredited programs in that system, but then we do a lot of different things. Professional learning events, we have publications, and so hopefully um, folks have been able to read YC and Teaching Young Children and our publications. We've just put out our latest edition of the DAP book um, that's come out, but we have a lot of publications to support early childhood educators. And then advocacy. I would say that's just a huge piece of the work that we do. We advocate for the field and both at the federal level and we work with states and we've been so happy to be working with Wyoming as one of those states to support the unifying framework in the states. So that's a little bit about NACI in a nutshell. I'll say about the unifying framework and you can stop me after a minute, Nikki. It's hard yeah. to do the, the short synopsis, but the unifying framework for the early childhood education profession is the culmination of several years of work that NACI did with 14 other national early childhood organizations. The impetus for it was the decades and decades of research that, have been, that has concluded definitively that child development is, is, it is a discipline, there, it is real, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that it is necessary um, for um, early childhood educators to be prepared in specific competencies to support quality early learning and care. It has been rooted in decades of the field not being recognized for the work that they do and that early childhood educators have been grossly undercompensated. 
that it's atrocious that um, over 50% of early childhood educators rely on public assistance of some sort, and that early childhood education is not, has not been viewed as a respected profession by the public. And that has implications for our workforce. And we know this, right? We're experiencing right now, even prior to the pandemic, just a significant challenges in staffing early learning programs. And for higher education, because um, I know that's um, what you represent, Neki, you know, it's, yes. it's challenging to recruit students into our programs. It's yeah. a hard case to make for presidents and provosts um, to invest in our programs when they don't pay a living wage. And so the unifying framework was really born out of an effort to create a vision for an organized early childhood education profession that has a definitive structure, much like other professions that we can look at, architecture, nursing, speech language pathology. And it was also born of the need to create this vision so we can make the case for compensation because we really believe that if we can be clear about what it is we do as early childhood educators, that then can make the clear case for compensation. So those were for the motivating factors behind this. What it actually looked like was an initiative called Power to the Profession. And this was a four-year initiative where we engaged with the 14 other early childhood education organizations with the field to really think about all the different components of what an early childhood education profession is. And so when you look at other professions, that includes what are the competencies um, within that profession? What are the expectations for practice? So licensing. What does professional preparation look like? What are the expectations related to that? And then how do we structure that? And so what are the systems that need to be in place to govern both as a profession and then as um, within states? And the intention was really, is really through power to the profession. We kind of moved through thinking about all these different aspects and what we call decision cycles. And so we spent the first decision cycle thinking about what do we call ourselves? And in a sense, that was the hardest part because our identity as early childhood educators means different things to people. And we call ourselves different things. And so to say, you know what, in other professions, there's a common name for what someone is who practices that. Yeah. Um, it was hard for us to think, okay, we, we came to the decision we're going to call ourselves early childhood educators. But there were many who identify as caregivers, as teachers, uh, you know, that was thinking about, well, we really need to be consistent about what we call ourselves. So we went through this series of thinking about all the different features of what a profession is. And with these other organizations that represented all of the different sectors in our field. So we think about Head Start. Um, we had four unions that were part of this, right? Thinking about K-12, as well as um, SEIU. We had higher education organizations that were part of this, family child care. And it was a lot of negotiation amongst those organizations and with the field, because we went out to the field with multiple drafts. And so for everyone listening who participated in those surveys and feedback, thank you for that. But we heard loud and clear from the profession, from the field during this about what they wanted this profession to look like. And so the unifying framework is that resulting document that reflects all of the findings and consensus that came from the field and those organizations. And within that unifying framework, there are several, I would say, primary recommendations. I will not go through all of those right now, but just to think about the recommendations that, you know, first and foremost, we're going to organize ourselves and 
or trying to move away from this notion that in every state there's a different career lattice. Yeah. And you know, for how people move across and through the early childhood education workforce. And we said that's confusing to people. And that often there might be states that have a career lattice with like 13 different steps. And if you move up one, take one credit hour, you can earn 15 cents more an hour in this. And that has not resulted, even though those are built from the best of intentions, because it's a way to recognize people, it has not resulted in people achieving more meaningful compensation. It's not resulted in them um, achieving more autonomy in their work. It's not resulted in them obtaining post-secondary credentials, right? So we have so many individuals that might have 80 credits, but they don't translate into a degree or meaningful movement toward that degree. We can't continue to do that to our workforce. So the unifying framework really lays out a very simplified structure with three designations of early childhood educators. Each one of those designations has a specific scope of practice. So what this individual has the autonomy to do in that early learning setting, there's an expectation for professional preparation attached to each of those designations. There's an expectation that someone will be licensed to practice with each of those designations. And that all of those, the, each of those designations, the professional preparation, the licensure is really centered around a core set of professional competencies that mm -hmm. every early childhood educator should know and be able to do. So it sets out this simplified structure. Um, there are recommendations related to compensation that are in the unifying framework. First and foremost, it recognizes that the federal government has got to be the financing backbone, right? We cannot mm -hmm. ask families to pay any more than they're paying for care. We can't continue to ask early childhood educators to subsidize the system, right? The low wages we pay, in a, in a sense, is subsidizing the system. We can't ask them to do that. Employers can't pay any more than they are. So it really proposes that the federal government is the financing backbone, and it calls for parity, and that when we are compensating, that K-12 salary should really be the floor for what salary should be for early childhood educators. Mm -hmm. And that if you are working at the ECE3 designation, every person working in that designation should be paid comparable pay. Whether you're working with infants and toddlers, whether you're working in a um, second grade classroom, that it's about the skills and knowledge someone brings, the autonomy and their preparation that really sets the stage for compensation, not the age of the kids they're working with, not the setting where they're working. You know, and these are things that we've all wanted, right, as a field for a really long time, but the unifying framework brings these ideas and recommendations together in a way that really represents consensus. And so we're working with states like Wyoming and other states mm -hmm. to think about, well, what does this look like in the state context? Because we know, you know, this will not happen overnight. Its implementation is going to look a little different in states, but we want to start with this kind of common goal for what the profession should look like, because in the end, ultimately, we want someone who is an early childhood educator too who moves from Florida to Wyoming, we don't want them to have to retake, yeah. you know, all of their courses and go, go through that again. Like it should be portable. And, you know, just like a nurse moving from any state, they have this same, like they bring those credentials. They don't have to redo everything when they move. Like, and it's recognized that when they gain that RN or that CNA, like they've got the competencies they should have and they don't have to prove it again. 
uh, yeah. when they move. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking a lot of things as I was listening to you, but I, I think uh, one thought that I had, Mary, was why it's important, I believe, to tell everyone the story of that power to the profession four-year process, because I think in our field, one thing that we've experienced for forever, I've been doing this for 20 years, so there's been people here a lot longer than me, is there's a lot of really well-intended change that people try to make. And often we're looking for quicker solutions and you know, one great idea that's going to save it all. And so we have a, we have a field of skeptics, I think, about, <laughs> about <laughs> things that are coming from others that are going to help our profession, because I think we feel a lot of people have been excited and then felt maybe a little bit burned by that. And um, so I want our listeners to know that this process that NAUIC undertook matters. It's really significant because the voice of early childhood educators were centered the entire time. And so the red flags that might already be going off in someone's mind about, listen, who's going to come and try to tell me what I have to do? That's, that's not, it, it was with ultimate respect for, for us as early childhood educators in this field that this process happened and voices centered in that way. And so I think that matters a lot because then I think we can feel confident that the recommendations coming from that are something we can embrace. And it doesn't mean that we don't have to think about how it can look in Wyoming, and it might be unique in some ways. Certainly, we have to have those conversations, which is what we were starting to do this fall. But I do think the process matters a lot. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a lot of engagement, and it was really intentional. And the process took longer because of that. And uh-huh. that's good, and that is okay, right? But it was uh-huh. really important. Um, and I would say there was a particular focus just in terms of populations and stakeholders that we really listen to family child care providers, thinking about educators of color, um, Spanish speaking educators, but just really thinking about who is currently in our workforce, which voices need to be elevated and be present. So there was a lot of intentional outreach because we wanted to be able to say, we have heard from infant, those working with infants and toddlers. We've heard from our grade school colleagues, right? We've heard in rural communities, there's a lot of deliberate outreach to rural communities so that, you know, to your point, we could say like voices were heard, they are reflected in the unifying framework. And I, I know we don't have time to go through it all today, but there are a lot of places within the unifying framework we've intentionally recognized and acknowledged particular groups within our workforce. Yeah. I think the other thing I was thinking too, that the, the other thing that reassures me that this is good work and that I can uh, invest my time in supporting is that compensation is the huge elephant in the room. And it's the thing everyone's always been trying to work around for forever. And what NAUIC and all those organizations recognize and acknowledge is that we can no longer do that. <laughs> we can't yeah. have this conversation. We have to lead with compensation. And I respect so much that that never goes away. It's on the forefront every time we have a conversation about this. Anytime I hear from anyone at NAUIC, compensation is the start of the conversation. And I, that's just true. We know it's true. And we have to do something about it. Yeah. No. And I think that's one of the implementation commitments. We have a series of implementation commitments that are in the you know, fine framework. And it essentially what they boil down to is we are not going to raise expectations for early childhood educators without raising compensation. Um, and that, you know, to your point, it has to lead and that that changes the conversation. Then when we go into states and we're thinking about, okay, well, 
the Unifying Framework calls for everyone to have a license to practice. You may not necessarily, we may not lead with that conversation, right? We first have to think about what are the supports in place for early childhood educators to gain that, you know, how do we help them think about making higher ed affordable, like, or pay for it, you know, so that they don't have to pay for it, right? And how do we help states think about ways to leverage their existing federal dollars to support compensation and, you know, Hopefully it's going to be more long-term funding that can really make some meaningful headway to yeah. increasing compensation, but that's hard. And I think, you know, that's, and I think, and understandably, I think that leading with that can be challenging, but it's necessary. We're just facing a workforce crisis and we can't continue to ask people to work in early learning and care to say, do it just for the kids. Like they have to have compensation. They have their own kids to support. Yep, that's really true. Uh, let's talk about the higher education piece just in a bit more detail, because when you think about, so there's this system that's fractured, it's not really a system in a lot of ways, what we currently have. And then higher education, it reflects the same challenges, as you mentioned before, because if there's not a specific license that we're trying to achieve that's nationwide, then higher education is all over the place with expectations. And so can you talk about the competencies, the professional preparation competencies and how important those are in this whole conversation as well? I think that the professional standards and competencies really provide a way for early childhood higher ed programs to find some common ground around what their course content can look like. You know, we, we have within currently in states, 50 different states or territories. Every state usually has its own set of early childhood educator competencies. Now, a lot of those can be tied back to, I think, the what were the profession, NACI professional preparation standards. You can see influences, but sure. states have essentially created their own. And because the licensing structures are different in every state, that also drives the content mm-hmm. in higher education. And so what the unifying framework puts forward is that we need to have a core set of competencies for early childhood educators as that our profession points back to. And the professional standards and competencies were designated as that foundational set of competencies. So these really will drive the intention. I mean, they will drive all parts of the system, but for higher ed, this really will drive the content and courses drive the way we organize field experiences and what we want candidates to learn and practice um, when they are in those field experiences mm-hmm. and ultimately drive the licensing structure. And as we think about the different licensure assessments that are out there, thinking about how those then tie back to the professional standards and competencies. It's a way you know, within our higher ed landscape, I think a few years ago, NACI launched an early childhood degree directory and we looked across the whole country and put together sort of a map of every degree program that is offered out there. And through doing that work, we saw that at both the associate and baccalaureate degree levels, mm-hmm. there were 50 different degree names within that, <laughs> right? Wow. And the, at the associate degree and then at the, at the baccalaureate, it's sort of that same phenomenon. And within each degree level, there's I think 10 to 12 different degree types at each degree level too. So whether it's the AA, AAS, the BST, like, so, you know, we, we have this landscape that is confusing and there are reasons why it is the way it is, right? I mean, because yeah. we have not had a, this unified profession. And so within higher ed, you will find 
both in community colleges and I think then particularly at baccalaureate and um, master's degree institutions, you'll have um, departments of child development, then you'll have your college of education, and there will be different degree programs that prepare individuals for the same role, but they are called different things. There's slightly different focus, right, within each of those. And those are housed in a lot of different places, right, within the institution. And so it might be in human services or agriculture, the college of education, like they're just all over. And so that's created a really confusing higher ed landscape for early childhood educators. And as we think about how we build cohesion, having individuals and having them navigate, well, do I go into the child development program? Do I go into the early childhood education program? Do I go into family studies? Like, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. thinking about that and as a profession, other professions don't have that type of variation, I guess I would say, like within their higher ed landscape. And so, you know, what the unifying framework is calling for is not that we're creating a common curriculum for early childhood education, but it is calling for more cohesion within our higher ed landscape and to really think about if we're preparing individuals in these professional standards and competencies, how do we organize our programs around that? And is that calling for us to do some restructuring in higher education about where early childhood education is located. And those are, I think, long-term conversations and I think uncomfortable conversations that we have to have as a higher community. We already had a series of, I would say, uncomfortable conversations during the unifying framework when we really started to think about with the professional standards and competencies well, how do we think about preparing individuals at the associate degree level and the baccalaureate level in these? What are the differences and similarities and expectations related to those professional standards and competencies? Right. Because at the back of that document of the professional standards and competencies, there's what we call that leveling chart. And it does map out as you think about the ECE 123 designations from the unifying framework, it does map out, okay, with the professional standards and competencies, this is what the expectation for mastering those competencies is at that ECE one designation at that ECE two and three, yeah. and we and we had challenging conversations as a higher ed community about this because our course content, both within degree levels and across the degree levels, varies so much. And because of how we're organized, there can be a lot of overlap in content at the associate and baccalaureate degree level. And there can be a lot of disconnect between what happens. And so it was really hard, I think, emotionally and both, and from a content perspective to think about what are the similarities and differences. And so that leveling chart in the professional standards and competencies, it's a first iteration. And I know it's going to change as we go through the years and we will iterate on it. Um, but that's a tough conversation for us to have. We know transfer articulation, right, has been such a challenge. Yes. Um, in early childhood and has implications for that. And, um, and I think all the typical things that go into the challenges related to articulation and transfer, you know, all the way from the structures in higher ed to our own feelings as faculty and the courses we teach. And I want things taught with the way I like to teach them and with the content I like to use. And so there's that ownership piece. And I think the stigma that can be associated with community colleges, which I think is just just a false thing, you know, I think that, but that stigma that is associated, like that has significant implications for transfer and articulation. Um, and the professional standards and competencies are really meant as a way to try to 
move past that and help us as a higher community think about our course content and, and really support better pathways, smoother pathways for our students. Yeah, and you know, it's just so interesting to hear you talk about these challenges across the country because they are our challenges in Wyoming. I mean, you just described them perfectly. Uh, we have one university that I'm lucky enough to work for, University of Wyoming. That makes us pretty unique as a state and seven community colleges. But even in my experience at the University of Wyoming, uh, when I started working here, I was blown away that, um, yeah, we have two separate degrees, one in family and consumer sciences in the College of Agriculture, and then an endorsement. It's not a degree in the College of Education that's connected to that elementary ed endorsement. And then at the community college level, any early childhood courses, they're linked specifically to that program. So that family and consumer sciences piece, they've been offering an online bachelor's for a long time. Um, in human development, but yeah, we just sit in all these different places. And so if you're someone who wants, who's interested in higher education in Wyoming, it's very hard to know where to go and what to do. What I love is that the professional standards and competencies are the, they're the thing that grounds us. It can, it can bring, that's what will bring programs together is around those competencies. And that's what can unite us with community colleges is around those competencies. And then what I love also because of my work at the Professional Learning Collaborative is that just even in the professional development, professional learning landscape, we can also embrace those professional standards and competencies. That's the standard. That is what we should be teaching to in anything that we do with anybody working out in the state, whether or not they're planning to attend college. Um, so I love them, as you know. Um, when I saw them, when they were still in draft form, I was using them already. So it's really exciting that we're in this place. One, one question I have, Mary, or you know, like a potential skeptic that's out there, is those professional standards and competencies, they did come from a previous document. These didn't just come out of the air. But... Um, how, what process did you all engage in for this most recent version of the professional standards and competencies? Who drove the decision-making about what ended up being there? So the process for developing the professional standards and competencies, that they are built on NACI's 2010 professional preparation standards. Mm -hmm. But the unifying framework made some recommendations. They said they looked across all the different competencies we have in the early childhood field. And we're lucky to have such a strong set of competencies as we look at DEC, zero to three, look at Head Start. You know, we have a lot of resources to help us understand what early childhood educators should know and be able to do. The unifying framework and the power to the profession task force landed on using NACI's professional preparation standards as sort of the foundation because they are setting agnostic. So they are for whether you're working in family child care centers and um, mm -hmm. elementary schools, they are age agnostic. So whether you're working with infants and toddlers or preschoolers or um, early grades, they really apply to every early childhood educator birth through age eight. So that was the rationale for making those the foundation, but they did call for in the revision of those to make sure that there were direct connections to these other important sets of competencies that are in our field and that they also reflect some of the findings from um, the um, Institute of Medicine's um, 2015 Transforming the Workforce, right, where it means uh -huh. specific competencies we need as early childhood educators. So with that sort of call to action from the mm -hmm. Power of the Profession Task Force, 
NACI then through its board put together a work group that led the revisions to this. And I would say much like the Power to the Profession Task Force representation, this work group also represented practitioners, higher ed faculty, researchers, again, representatives kind of across different settings, um, those working with different age groups within that young child continuum. So there was a very diverse representation on that work group. And we, um, that work group put together the revisions, much like the um, unifying framework, it went out to the field a few different times for feedback. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of different ways we engaged with the field. So what resulted, I feel I'm biased, I'm at NACI, but I feel like really reflects feedback from the field about what the competencies should be and are, um, you know, therefore can serve sort of as those core competencies that every early childhood educator should um, be proficient in. That's not to say that, it, you know, as we work with states and they adopt the professional standards and competencies that they may add to them. And states have different contexts and we already, you know, one state has already formally adopted the professional standards and competencies, but also added an additional standard that's really focused on health and mental health. Um, because they, that's an important emphasis in that particular state. And so we do anticipate states may add to them. And maybe there's particular communities of young children in those states that they want to make sure early childhood educators can work with, whether there's um, tribal communities or um, children who speak languages other than English. And so they want to make sure there are some competencies that really speak directly to that. And that is good. And we hope states will do that and you know make these their own but at the same time, they will hold those professional standards and competencies as you know, sort of the core competencies within the states. Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And I really do just love that we have the foundation to build on. That's what they provide for any state. Um, and even, you know, it's reflected in the new developmentally appropriate practice position statement. There's just that connection now across all of those things. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's a direct yeah, connection between the DAP position statement, the advancing equity position statement, the professional standards and competencies. Soon to come, there will be revisions to the code of ethics and the early learning program standards. Um, and those, we will see a very direct connection. And that's intentional because uh, we want to bring coherency to the work that all of us do and not make it harder for us <laughs> as we yes. do our work. <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit, Mary, about what you, what we've been doing in Wyoming, uh, in the okay. last couple of months. So you let us help guide us through a process of introducing our state to all these things we've just been talking about. We hosted a series of meetings and got a lot of input from people. Um, we had our final meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, for this round, which was sort of to say, here are all the things that we've learned. Here are things we'd like to do next in Wyoming. And if you're just listening and this is new to you and you want to participate in next steps, there's more coming in the next year. You can reach out to your professional learning facilitator in your region and say, you're interested. Let's get on the listserv. Let's get the information. I want to know more. So we can help you with that. So you spend a lot of time with people from Wyoming, right? And I just was wondering, as you reflect back on our time together, what stands out to you most? to you most about early childhood in Wyoming right now? What have you left thinking about? One of the things that just has struck me is how important with the, so with the unifying framework, it was the result of power to the profession, right? And it was this time for the field to come together and think about what is important to them as early childhood educators, 
how do they want to um, see themselves viewed by both the public and and helping themselves see themselves as professionals. And I feel like there's, so with Wyoming over the fall, it feels like it's been in a sense, some similar conversations about this identity piece and yeah. early, you know, and this opportunity for early childhood educators and others to say, wow, there's, there are others out there who think the work we do is important and want, you know, want us to be recognized. And I think having that opportunity in Wyoming and as we do in other states, just for people to be able to take time to say um, the work I do is hard and it has been hard to do it and be unrecognized and um, to say I really want things to change for my work is, is important. And so I think part of that's to me what I've enjoyed so much over the fall is we, we present the unifying framework and I know for a lot of folks it's the first time hearing about it and it's sort of like what <laughs> what is this and what you know and what does that framework want me to do they you know and it's and there is this angst and understandable about ooh, there's some expectations around professional preparation and it's yeah. calling for people to be licensed to practice you know having time for people to think through the implications um, and think through like if we're going to implement this, what do they need to see um, in the states? And I know we've had themes that have kind of arisen out of the meetings we've had over this last fall of for early childhood educators who've been working in the field for decades and the sense of, okay, I'm really excited, you know, that maybe there's this opportunity to really increase compensation and make that real. <laughs> For, for our field, but I don't want to go back and have to get my bachelor's degree. I've been doing this for 30 years and I know a lot about kids. And so, you know, I think thinking through what implementation looks like and how do we support our existing workforce? And also we have this vision for what a future, like what the future workforce will be and what it means yeah. to be prepared for that um, is really important. And what I've appreciated is through your leadership and, and through Becca's is just maintaining that focus on centering the educator voice mm -hmm. in this work has been so important. I am also struck, uh, you know, and I think for Wyoming, it's such an interesting state. And <laughs> I think, you know, to your point, just even thinking from the higher ed system, there's one baccalaureate institution, seven community colleges. Um, I think there's been this opportunity. And one of the things I'm so impressed with is the work that that you and your colleagues have been doing around the professional learning being the the intentionality that is happening in Wyoming to think about it's a big state <laughs> and how do we connect with all of the early childhood educators in the workforce how do we provide professional development to them and i have just appreciated and use it as an example to think about how you were mapping this and you I know you've divided the state up into regions and there's facilitators for every region and there's this centering of the learning around the professional standards and competencies so it's this way to build cohesion um, that is really important that I've appreciated that I think is challenging for other states right and I think hey. one of the opportunities I think in Wyoming because those systems are not necessarily in place to unwind that there's a lot of opportunity to kind of build out the vision, right? And the yes. structures you want to see. That was very well said. And I, yeah, I agree. I think that is one of the things I've learned in the last few years. The gift of um, not having much is that you don't have to reinvent. You, you don't have to unwind things. You can 
adopt a vision for what you want something to be. And then we have the opportunity to make it happen. We have fewer roadblocks, I feel like, in our way. Yeah. This is not going to be easy. There's definitely some challenges that we face, but I do love that. I think Wyoming is a state where this can succeed for lots of reasons. So I'm pretty excited about that as well. Let's talk about next steps for NAYC and Wyoming together for anybody who's uh, participated in these series of meetings or anybody who's interested in what's next. Um, NAEYC is committed to spend a couple more years, at least with us, helping us figure out our way um, to this unifying framework in the state. And so that's something I can reassure everyone about. So I'm really excited about that. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. Um, we just know that Mary is going to be hanging out with us some more for sure, as we envision this out as a state. Um, do you have any thoughts, Mary, that you'd want to share with people about what you think lies ahead for us in our work in Wyoming? So I'm excited about the work ahead. And I think um, in that last meeting that you alluded to, we um, the session that we did, um, there was a lot of focus on thinking about what our next, what our priorities are for this work collectively as all of the participants. And I think particularly um, what came through is that advocacy is really important. And I think there was a lot of energy from all of those meetings and, and particularly that last one to think about how we build out a big and strong advocacy component and within mm -hmm. Wyoming. And I think particularly around the compensation piece and thinking about just the opportunities that we have in the state with the federal relief dollars, how do we organize those in a way that can really drive improvements to compensation for early childhood educators? So I'm excited about thinking about what that looks like. And I think the other piece is around what we call the structure priorities. And so when we think about in the unifying framework, organizing around the ECE one, two, and three designations, that has huge implications for licensing, professional preparation, our career pathways in the state. Um, and so I think building, building that out and thinking about actual implementation of that is exciting, you know, and keeping in mind and, and present with us how we support the current workforce in that, right? I think there was a, a real big acknowledgement or a significant acknowledgement that we will not be asking educators necessarily to go back and go get their baccalaureate degree, right, all over. Like, sure. what are ways we can um, find either alternatives to meeting those designations, transition time for individuals to meet it, but that we want to bring the current workforce with us. And I think holding that close as we think about these, um, what implementation look like, looks like will be really important. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I would say our work this fall was really a lot of preliminary conversations and information sharing and information gathering. And now the real work is going to happen next. So I'm really excited about that. And that's where it gets tougher. Uh, but but I just know I, I feel really good about what we can do in our state. Um, well, this has been fantastic. We could go on for forever, but um, we should probably wrap things up. Um, Mary, one thing that we do in this podcast, because it's about learning, is I would just love to ask you to share something you've learned recently that's new, and it does not have to be related to early childhood at all, but uh, we're constantly learning, and we just want our early childhood workforce to know that that's a part of everything we all do always. We're learners, so as a continuing learner yourself, what's something you've learned lately? <laughs> well, I think you know I, I uh, we've recently added a puppy to our family, so yes, as 40. 
Gordy, he's walking through the room right now, which is good timing, but I will say um, it's been a long time since I've had a puppy and I'm learning about training and I'm learning that the training is really not about him, but it's about me as the human being and how to support that. So that is um, brand new to me and I'm having a lot of fun doing it, but um, it's hard. Like the discipline of being consistent in that is yeah. hard. Um, so I, I was like, I'm not successful yet. I am <laughs> still a work in progress. Yeah, work. I would like to say it's him, but really it's me not being successful yet in that. So. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I wish everybody could take a look at Gordy, but they won't have that <laughs> Um Well, Mary, thank you. Thanks so much for this conversation and for your commitment to Wyoming and knowing that um, we're going to continue to work together is something that I'm very excited about. And um, I just want to thank you listeners also for listening in to Voices on the Village. This podcast is funded by the Federal Preschool Development Grant and is produced at the University of Wyoming Early Childhood Outreach Network that I direct. I want to give special thanks to Bryce Tugwell. He's my patient, director, editor, and producer. Everybody take care. Thanks. Thanks.